Our reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 15. If you'd like to follow along, you'll find the text on page 1592 in the Pew Bible. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all together around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I am here starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. And he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put on a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Well, your brother has come home. He replied, and, the fa and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... Who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. A few years ago, I had a trip to Chicago. I got on a plane, and it was nearly empty, unlike most planes today. And I had a row to myself. In fact, everyone, I think, in the plane had a row to themselves. Well, that is, except for me, because as it turned out, right before the doors closed, the flight attendants closed the doors, a young woman rushed onto the plane. She came down the aisle, all sorts of luggage in hand, disheveled, plopped down in the aisle seat in my row, 
And I thought, no problem. I already had my earphones in, um, I had my book, and I thought she'd take the hint and leave me alone. I was wrong. Within 10 seconds, she'd asked me a question, then another question, then another question, until I realized that, well, this was going to be the way it was for the rest of the flight. I learned that she was a senior at an elite college in the United States. She'd been born in Mexico. Her family had moved to Chicago when she was nine years old. Six weeks after she arrived, she was in school, and by Christmas, she knew English. Well, as the conversation unfolded, she eventually asked me what I did. Now, I've just got to tell you that when you say to someone you're a pastor, that's generally the end of the conversation, but not with her. She brightened up a bit and said, you know, I've been thinking about God a lot recently and then told me that her family seldom went to church, so she confessed, I've got lots of questions. And she started to ask them. One of her first questions was about Mary. And so I told her a little bit about Mary, and she was surprised when I told her that Mary was likely a teen when she gave birth to Jesus. After a few more questions, she asked me, what is a parable? And I told her that parables were stories that communicate spiritual truths that Jesus was a master storyteller and some of his stories are among the most familiar in all of, of history. And then she asked me, what's your favorite one? And I told her the parable of the prodigal son. She'd heard the word prodigal, but she didn't know the story, and so she said, well, tell me the story. And so I told her the story that you've just heard read about a younger son who goes to his father and asks for his inheritance early. He then leaves home and spends every penny he has until nothing's left. And he's about to starve when he decides to return home, to ask his father for forgiveness and knowing that he will not be received as a son, to just be one of the servants in the field and be able to eat what those servants ate. However, when he was on his way home and still a relatively long way off, when the house just started to appear before him, he saw a man running toward him. It was his father. His father hugged him, and before the son could even say he was sorry, he'd wrapped his arms around him. Then he put a robe on him, gave him a ring, put sandals on him, and threw an incredible party to welcome his son home. Well, as I told the story, it was clear that it grabbed her. In fact, when I got to the end, she looked surprised and said, I didn't see that coming. I said, what? She said, well, I thought for sure he'd punish him. I said, yeah, so did those who first heard the story. Because my young friend had not heard this story before, she got the full emotional impact of it. You know, sometimes a story's so familiar that we just kind of loses its emotional punch. And it's easy to think that we understand the story because we've heard it so many times before. So it might surprise you to hear me say that I think the title generally used to identify this story, the parable of the prodigal son, is misleading. And one reason is that this is a story about not one, but two sons. And as it turns out, both are equally important. That's why Jesus begins the story by saying, there was a man who had two sons. Jesus told this story to a crowd that included two groups of people. Group number one were the tax collectors and sinners, and group two, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, the second group, which was made up of the respectable religious types, looked down on everyone, including those in group one, especially that's because they were, they were so shocked that Jesus would associate with such sinful, unclean people. So they murmured under their breath, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. When Jesus heard what they said, 
he decided to tell this story. And once he started, both groups knew that he was talking about them. The tax collectors and their ilk saw themselves in the younger son. And the religious types knew that he was comparing them to the older brother. So Jesus begins this story with the younger son, the one traditionally called the prodigal. He came to his father with a short but shocking request. He said, give me my share of the inheritance. Now in the ancient world when a father died, the traditional way that the inheritance would be passed on is that the oldest son would get a double portion. So in this case, there are two sons. So the oldest son would be expected to get two-thirds of the assets from the estate and the younger son the remaining third. But the inheritance would only come after the father had died. So for the youngest son to come and ask for his inheritance now while his father is still living was to say to his father, I wish you were dead. Those listening were shocked by his request. And none of them would have been surprised if in the story Jesus told, he had said the father drove the son away empty-handed. But surprisingly, Jesus said that the father divided the property between them. By the way, that wasn't easy to do. The bulk of his wealth is tied up in real estate, in land most likely. And in order to raise cash, he had to sell a third of his holdings. Now, many of you know that when you dump a lot of an asset on a market at the same time, you generally don't get full price. You don't get top dollar. But once he raised the funds that he could, he hands over the money to his son, and his son heads off to Europe or Australia or some other place a long way away. And the results, as you've already heard, are predictable. He squandered his wealth in wild living. Soon, instead of happiness, this son was miserable. Eventually, he experienced the ultimate humiliation for a young Jewish man. He was taking care of pigs and wishing he could share their food. That's when it says he came to his senses and began to think longingly of home. Now, he knew that he could never be received back as a son. But he thought, perhaps my father will let me join the field hands, work in the fields and eat what they eat. So he began the long journey home, rehearsing a speech that he would give when he returned. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the closer he came, the closer he arrived toward home, the more nervous he became. And then when he came within sight of the house, he saw a figure running in the distance. Now know that Middle Eastern men don't run. It's not respectable. Children run, but not men. So imagine his surprise when he realized that the man who was running was his father. Before he knew what was happening, even before he could get the words of his little speech out of his mouth, his father embraced him and wrapped him up in a hug. Later, he would learn that it was no accident that his father had seen him, that for the months or years or however long it was that his son was away, his father regularly went up onto the roof of the home and looked out into the distance, scanning the horizon, looking to see if perhaps his son would return home. And now that he was home, his father lavished gifts on him. He threw him a party. He even put his best robe on his son, which was a symbol of the restored position the son now occupied in the home. Which brings us to son number two, the older brother. While the party was getting underway, the older brother was in the fields working hard, doing his, his business, taking care of the family farm. And just as the sun began to set, he began to make his way back home. And as he grew closer, drew closer to the house, he began to hear the faint sound of music. And then when he could see a little bit better, he saw people dancing on the lawn. And he called one of the servants over. He said, what's going on? He said, oh, don't you know? Your brother's home and he's safe and sound. So your dad, he's thrown a party. Expecting 
The older brother, to be full of joy, instead saw the anger begin to fill his face. He was furious. Even when his father came out of the home and invited this older brother in, he refused. And then he unloaded on his dad. All these years I've been slaving away. You never once have I disobeyed you. And you've not even given me even a measly goat. But when this miserable son comes home, the one who's wasted thousands on wine, women, and song, you serve him filet mignon. Now, both groups listening to this story saw something of themselves in the story. The tax collector crowd knew that Jesus had compared them to the younger brother. So hearing the story for the first time, it's actually not hard to imagine tears welling up in their eyes when they heard him say that God is waiting with open arms to welcome them home no matter what they've done. That's why Jesus was so popular with the down and outers. And Jesus' critics, the religious leaders who blasted him for associating with those they considered immoral riffraff, they knew that he was calling them out on their pride and self-righteousness, implying that they were spiritually blind. He wanted to shake them out of their complacency and invite them to the party. So all that means is that Jesus is telling a story not about one, but about two lost sons. A younger brother who didn't want anyone to tell him what to do, who wanted to do whatever he wanted, and got his father somehow to fund his wild adventures with predictable consequences. And his older brother, who did everything right, obedient, law-abiding, hardworking, he was well-respected by everyone, except, Jesus said, something isn't quite right. Inside, he was a seething cauldron of pride, resentment, selfishness, and self-righteousness. He showed himself to be judgmental, unforgiving, unloving, and deeply critical of his father, who he saw as way too generous, loving, and forgiving. If anyone deserved a party, he thought, it's me. After all, I've earned it. With all this good behavior, I'm the one who deserves the father's love, which tells us that everything that he did was done in order to be able to get the father to give him what he wanted. There's something about Jesus' story, though, that when he gets to the end of it, that bothers some. And that is because we all wonder, how did it turn out? Jesus leaves this story without a proper ending. It, did the older brother welcome the prodigal eventually? Did he see the light and say, yeah, I'm glad he's home? Did he too receive the love and acceptance that his father had been offering him all along? Or did he demand his inheritance and then leave the family? And what about this younger son? Did he remain reconciled to the father? Or were those rebellious habits so ingrained in him that eventually, once more, he left, this time for good? I think that Jesus leaves this story open-ended in order to draw us in, to have us ask a question of ourselves, which one of these sons are we? Now, maybe you're the younger son type. You're prone to fight the rules and to go your own way. And the question for you is, how's that working out? Maybe like the younger son in the story, you've tried everything, but still you feel a little lost, a little aimless, and not at home. Then consider making your way back home to the loving, waiting arms of the Father. But maybe you're more the older brother type, and I have to raise my hand to tell you that more often than not, that's me. We're the kind that are good at keeping the rules. We tend not to stray, at least on the outside, but inside we struggle with pride and self-righteousness. At times, we get angry, angry at those who color outside the lines and seem to get away with it. And we also fall prey to the temptation of trying to control God. Instead of loving him for who he is, we're subtly trying to manipulate him. 
We figure if we're good, if we do all the right things, God will have to give us what we want. We assume that if we live a good life, that we will get the good life because God owes us. So when life doesn't turn out the way that we want, we get angry, we get bitter. We accuse God of not holding up his end of the bargain. So whether you're a younger son experiencing consequences of your poor decisions or an older brother with the mistaken idea that God is pleased with you or a little bit of both because I think that's most of us, the truth is is that we are all lost. So where does that leave us? Well, I think it leaves us with the true hero of this story, the forgiving father. This week, I looked up the meaning of the word prodigal, and I was surprised. I actually didn't know what it meant. I thought it was something about being rebellious or a party animal or something like that, but instead, the term actually means wastefully extravagant. It means to spend and spend and spend some more until the money's all gone. That's why the story Jesus tells actually has two prodigals. One is the prodigal son who quickly blew through a third of the family's wealth. And there is the prodigal God who is wastefully extravagant with his love and grace. The startling message of this parable is that God's love and forgiveness is available to all of us. It doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. Nothing is a match for God's extravagant grace. The way Jesus tells the story, the father embraces his son before he even has a chance to clean up his life or show that he can stick with the changes he'll promise to make or even forgive him before he, has his, he forgives him before he has a chance to fess up. What Jesus gives us is a fresh definition of God by revealing his divine compassion, his unconditional forgiveness, and his everlasting love. In this light, the tax collectors and the sinners, the prodigals in the story, are not the villains, but the object of God's deep love. And the religious leaders, the judgmental older brother types in the story, too, can find themselves invited by the father into the celebration. The picture then is of a father running, arms open wide to receive us when we turn to him, whether it's from rebellion or pride. Then all of us, younger brothers and older brothers alike and everyone else in between, may fall into his arms, allowing ourselves to be loved by him. Whichever one you may be, older or younger, know that God is looking for you. He's scanning the horizon and he will go anywhere necessary to find you. He loves you and he will not rest until you are at home with him. And there's nothing you can do to earn his grace. His love and his acceptance are absolutely free. Ernest Hemingway wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. And in the story, he tells of a father and a teenage son. And in the story, the relationship has become strained. And his young teenage son runs away from home. The father's distraught, and he begins to search for him. And his search leads him all the way to the capital of Spain, to Madrid. He walks the city knowing that his son is somewhere, but he cannot find him. And so, desperate, he places an ad in the local newspaper. The ad simply says, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The next day, when he shows up at the newspaper office, there are 800 Pacos, all seeking the forgiveness and love of their father. Jesus ends this story with the two sons with these words. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The joy of Easter, the most important day in the Christian tradition, is grounded in this reality. 
For in Jesus' death on the cross, we find the forgiveness that our younger brother and older brother selves so desperately need. And it is in his resurrection from the dead that we find the life and the hope that we need for eternity. Let us pray. Father, as younger sons, we live our lives trying to go our own way. And as older brothers, we live with the unexamined assumption that we deserve to be in. But the truth is, is that we are either fools or are vain and overconfident. We either believe we know better than you or believe we're much better people than we really are. But the truth is more unsettling. We are more sinful and broken than we ever dared to admit. And yet, at the same time, more loved and cherished than we ever dared hope. In all this, we know comes in Jesus, the one who gave himself for us on Good Friday, and rose again from the dead on Easter Sunday. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.